Happy Halloween, everybody. This is Kyle D. Garrett. Welcome to the Dark Narrative. Today, I'm going to be doing something, well, I can't say different because this is a new podcast, so I really don't know what different would mean for this. But I'm going to do something I haven't done, at least for the last two episodes. Today, I'm going to do some scary story narrations from a couple of friends of mine who have graciously given me their permission to narrate their stories. So, get ready, and we'll just enjoy the Halloween spirit together by listening to some short horror stories written by some very talented people. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Back once again, Kyle D. Garrett on The Dark Narrative. And I wanted to say one more time, happy Halloween. I hope you all are going to... uh, I hope all of you actually have some good plans tonight. Some good, safe, reasonable fun. I know I sound very reserved and conservative when I say that. But there's a lot of nutty stuff that goes on on Halloween. Earlier today, I watched a video on Halloween pranks gone wrong. I don't know when pranks turned into excuse to traumatize, hurt, and possibly kill someone. I'm being serious when I say that because it has happened. It's the exception, not the rule, but the fact that it happens makes me sad. So please have a safe, fun, and wonderful Halloween. Parents, keep a close eye on your kids. Adults, please try not to go too nuts and drink too much and definitely don't drive once you've had those drinks. Um... Today, I'm going to be squeezing in a couple of scary story narrations, uh, a couple of uh, independent um, narr- uh, excuse me, I can't apparently formulate a sentence. That's That doesn't bode well for me as a writer. But um, a couple of very gifted uh, independent authors um, by the names of Melissa Allgood and D. Marie Prokop have very graciously allowed me to narrate their stories today on this, I guess you could say, Halloween special. I wanted to try and record something today, since I, you know, am discussing the various nuances of horror writing, horror narration, and I get to squeeze both of those into this episode. Whilst I am looking after a couple of four-year-old boys, one of them being my own, he's having some fun with his best friend, And they're watching a cute little Halloween cartoon slash movie. So I'm going to try and uh, squeeze in a couple narrations in between while I'm playing with and taking care of them and making sure they're good and not making a mess of the place. Anyways, um, I'm going to get started with a story uh, from the horror anthology. Actually, both of these stories are going to be from the horror anthology a hair-raising tales of horror, uh, a anthology of horror stories by various authors, um, most of them from Texas, um, including my two friends that I just mentioned, Melissa and Dee, and um, I'm going to be reading their stories, both of them stories from this comp- compilation. Uh, Melissa Allgood, I mentioned her in my previous uh, episode, how I submitted a story for her next compilation. Um, that she's putting together with her friend and another indie author named Chantal Renee, very talented as well. And so I get to join their ranks, so to speak. And I'm very excited about that. So without really any further ado, let's get started with the first story. 
by Melissa Allgood. I will be telling you the title in the next segment. So sit back, relax, turn off the lights if you can, find a dark spot, and enjoy. The first of two stories that I'm going to read today is titled The Silencer by Melissa Allgood. I popped the cork on the Cabernet, cut into the steak a dead woman had grilled, and thought. I remembered what it felt like to have them tear through my house. Months ago our couch was flipped over, laundry removed, and the basement destroyed. We just had it remodeled for what would one day be a growing family, but they didn't care. A dozen men in uniform thoughtlessly busted through the walls of my home with sledgehammers. My jewelry, clothing, even a blender were boxed up and labeled. Those are gifts, I told them as they wheeled my life out the front door. Their faces were devoid of emotion as they stacked the life Kyle and I had made into the back of a police car. Our marriage became nothing more than words on a crumpled piece of paper shoved in a file. It's from his victims, they told me. It's stolen property, they told me. None of it was ever yours, they told me. What they didn't know is that my husband couldn't end a life. As an acclaimed psychiatrist, Kaya would take his patients' calls day or night, even on our third anniversary. Kyle had reserved a five-star hotel for the night, but a suicidal nursing student called and he was gone before he saw my new lingerie. He would scoop up a spider in his open palm and gently set it outside, far from any predators, like our tabby cat, Lion. I should have asked the cops to take Lion, too, because ever since they took Kyle, our four-legged furry child has howled for him. Maybe Lion didn't think I'd cried enough when they handcuffed Kyle on her front lawn on his way to get the paper. The neighbors saw his car, they told me. We found blood staining your upholstery, they told me. We know he took that route home from work every day, they told me. For days, Lion howled. After the arraignment and that outrageous judge denied bail, I had to leave. I only got as far as the retro diner in the center of town, but I just had to get away from the sound. I pointed to a glossy picture on the menu and a young waitress placed a burger and fries in front of me. Ketchup that I dipped my fries into was really blood that ran like stripes up the walls and across the ceiling. The next day, a fake smile from a soccer mom at the grocery store reminded me of the teeth that were yanked out of every victim's mouth post-mortem. By week's end, giggling, witty banter and singing at the hair salon caught me off guard as well. It was because all the victims' voice boxes had been removed while they were still alive that the papers called my husband the silencer. It wasn't clever enough to elicit an eye roll from me. Everything reminded me of what Kyle did. When I walked through town to pick up my prescriptions, ladies crossed the street before our paths crossed. The story I heard them gossip about while I waited in line behind them at the bank wasn't close to the truth. They didn't know. During my first police interview, I didn't need to see the crime scene photos for images of torture. 
and eventual release to engulf me. Besides, the cops wouldn't let me view them, no matter how often I asked. How could you not notice your husband gone? Asked a cop I thought looked too young to grow facial hair, much less carry a gun. My whole life had gone to hell because of that kid cop. He'd leave all the time for his patients. Where to? The cop's pen danced across the page of the notebook he'd retrieved from his coat pocket. Hospitals, businesses, rooftops? I shrugged. Wherever people fell, feel suicidal. It's not as if he, he could be very specific. He's a medical professional. He'd just leave and never check in. He called me every night at 8. It was our rule. No matter where we were, we called each other. It all seems so stupid now, especially since we'd never get to do that again. There's no way he did what you're saying. The officer sighed. People like this have a sickness. They're able to hide in plain sight. You're telling me that my husband killed six families over the past two years and he kept it from me. He couldn't keep the end of a movie a secret if he saw it before me. So do you know something about the murders? No! The kid cop smiled. I thought you didn't have any secrets. Everyone has secrets. I realized too late that my words were dark, like tinted glass. Then you don't know. I know that Kyle is innocent. The growl came from the depths of my gut. I know that he had nothing to do with this. His dark eyes brushed the Spanish tile below us. Underneath, it was once a game room, including a pool table, widescreen TV, and vintage pinball machine. You didn't question all the money coming in? Or why he had to remodel so quickly? I huffed, wishing I had a bottle of wine to go along with the questions. It was my idea to remodel, and he wanted it done quickly because I was pregnant. The pen halted, and Kid Cop raised an eyebrow. Was? Was. What happened? I sighed. I'm broken. Kid Cop started up again, but I had a question of my own. Since he refused to give me back my husband, when can I have the car? As soon as we're done with our investigation. Soon? He shook his head, and that's when I knew that I'd never see Kyle again. He'd never rent some terrible horror movie and force me to watch it, or bring me my favorite flowers on my birthday, or refuse to separate the sheets from his blue jeans when doing the laundry. Obviously, you're better off, my friend said. It's not your fault, co-workers said. In time, you'll heal, sweetie, my parents said. They never gave me back the car Kyle bought me, which forced me to buy a new one. My new sedan was dark blue, which the dealer recommended for safety. I wanted to tell him that airbags couldn't keep me safe from a serial killer spouse, but I refrained and handed him the asking price in cash. Kyle was gone, so I figured I should go as well. Lion would find a new owner. Better owners. I got in the driver's seat, typed the address into the GPS, and drove. 
I sat in my new car and waited. From the heated leather seats, I watched the Nelsons eat dinner. A pumpkin stood next to their front door, a jagged carving of a witch facing me. It would rot in three days' time, along with the perfect family of four. There stood thirty-something Donna with her long blonde hair and beauty queen smile, spooning mashed potatoes onto each of the four plates. Brian was equally as aesthetically pleasing. He lightly caressed Donna's hand at the end of the meal while the kids cleared the table for dessert. The twins Mia and Megan were replicas of their mother, blue eyes, curly light hair, dimples, and long slender necks. Tonight the girls wore matching pale pink dresses with embroidered roses on all of the seams. Donna brought a pineapple upside down cake from the kitchen to the table for Brian to cut. She set the knife in the sink afterwards, just a few feet from the door, I knew was unlocked. I counted to 1,000 once the house went dark. I disabled the phones and internet before I walked in, using some gadget the nerd at the local electronics store told me was the best. I relished the 40 paces to the carpeted stairway and then made a left into the twins' room. It looked as if someone had poured Pepto-Bismol over every square inch of the room. I stood over Mia first, watched her chest rise and fall with her slow, deep breaths. Her cheeks were flushed and her eyelashes lightly fluttered before I put a pillow over her face to muffle her screams as I suffocated her. The same fate came to Megan before I took the pliers from my utility belt and removed their teeth. Most of their mouths were filled with baby teeth, those I tucked into my pocket. The parents were always a challenge. Brian had his arm wrapped around Donna, which made it easier for me to hold a rag over each of their mouths. The mothers were always easy and quick, almost too quick, but I loathed Donna. She had everything I wanted. Everything. I got a little overzealous with the pliers and un unhinged her jaw from her skull. Brian was more difficult because his eyes were the same chocolate color as Kyle's. It was as if my husband were looking up at me, pleading. I'm so sorry, baby. I cooed in Brian's ear as I dug through his glottis and snipped his vocal cords. I wish you were here to watch me, like before. After Brian's eyes lost their vigor, I strolled back into the Nelson's dining room and poured myself a glass of Robert Mondavi. While their bodies chilled above me, I sat at the table and scavenged on the leftovers of their dinner that Donna had so artfully placed in Tupperware. The steak was still juicy, as if she'd just taken it off the grill. It was long past eight, and Kyle couldn't get to his cell phone, since the police had it in evidence, but I made the call anyway. After four brief rings, a recording started. You've reached Dr. Kyle Whitmore. If this is an emergency, please hang up and dial 911. If not, please leave me a detailed message and I'll get back to you shortly. Hey, it's me. I just wanted you to know that I love you. I really do. I know you think people like me don't feel human emotion, but we do sometimes. Don't blame yourself, Kyle. I never meant for you to get hurt. Not you, 
of all people. I didn't know what else to say, so I hung up and took my husband's advice. 911, what is your emergency? I'm Jessa Whitmore, the silencer. Our second story comes from author DeMarie Prokop and is titled, Going Home. The little dog held something in its tiny jaws, clutching it tight and growling at me. The early evening sky hindered my vision. I couldn't see the object clearly. The dog had had a bad reputation for burying toys in the garden and uprooting the vegetables, so I followed him. Toto, release! I demanded, attempting to sound more like the Wicked Witch than Dorothy. Ignoring me, he ran past the vegetable garden and down the dirt path between the cornfields. I stood on the edge of the field, by the southern property line of the farm where I had grown up. The diminutive dog growled at me, turned, and ran off. Oh, come on, silly boy, what's wrong with you? Pop's dog had been acting off-kilter ever since I arrived back home. Grumbling, I tracked the Yorkie small paw prints left on the dirt trail through the shadowy cornfields. Dusk had started to fall. I caught glimpses of Toto whipping in and out of the dry corn stalks. If he hadn't been my father's oldest and most faithful companion, I wouldn't have bothered. Pop had two settings, gentle and high beat. A beacon of patience until pushed too far. The former boxing champ inside my mild-mannered father could emerge without warning. I feared facing the fighter inside if I lost Pop's dog. When I... When first I arrived at my father's doorstep two days ago, Pop didn't ask any questions. Never loquacious, this time his silence echoed the emptiness in my soul. I had failed. At life, at love, at everything. And had decided to leave the city and return to my childhood home, where I had felt safest. Eventually, words began to drop out of Pop's mouth, such as, Morning, and Goodnight. Toto! Come back! Bad boy! I wish the sun would pause from setting for a few extra minutes. Please help me find Pop's dog, I whispered to any entity willing to take on the challenge, even though the thought of a higher power actually heeding my cries after years of screaming at the loud silence above stirred up an anger inside me. <coughs> Aha! Found you! Grudgingly, I tipped my head to the gracious or bored entity and approached the dog. He dropped the object he'd been carrying in his jaws, but stepped over it, guarding it with his petite furry body. When I walked in his direction, he growled as fiercely as he could and leaned back on his hind legs in an instinctual attack mode, ready to spring from the ground into his opponent's face. Into my face. Hey, it's me. I know it's been a while since I've been home, but you like me, you silly dog. Now move! He growled louder at me as if I were a stranger, an enemy, or a threat. Of course Pop's dog didn't connect with me anymore. I changed. I left home three years ago. Technically, I ran away. Mom had been sent to another kind of farm. The funny farm. 
and I rebelled. My high school sweetheart, George, convinced me to get hitched. We drove two hours to get to the courthouse in the capital city of Harrisburg. Then we stayed in the city. George never let me go home. He barely let me leave the apartment. This year he fell in love with whiskey, thankfully offering my face short reprises from his fist when he would eventually pass out. Two days ago, while George was out cold, I decided to finally go home. I suddenly realized where the dog had taken me. I stood in the woods behind the old dairy farm. In a Revolutionary War-era graveyard with five crumbling stones circled by warped oak trees. Three of the gravestones belonged to children, their names barely legible after centuries of weathering and decay. An important-looking historic marker described the place for tourists, but only a few kooky graveseeker weirdos ever visited this old site. Hey, you're going to disturb the Creech family. Their ghosts will haunt you to death. Haunt you to death? What are you talking about? Good grief. You're talking to yourself in the third person. You're insane. Yes, you are. The dog retorted. Quick as a ghost, I grasped the little bugger and held him tight. But he squirmed out of my hands, whimpering in fear. He bolted away from me out of the graveyard and back through the cornfields. Now I could finally see what he had been guarding. No, it can't be. I leaned in to examine the object closer. Damn! In the thin grass was a human hand, slightly decomposed with bluish flesh and dirty fingernails. The fingers were longer than my own. One held a gold band. Twisting the cheap band on my own left ring finger, I stumbled backward and landed on my rear. The recent frost should have meant a hard landing, but the ground under my bum actually cushioned my fall. I reached back to push my body up, my hand clutching the cold, loose soil below. I rose, turned, and stared at a mound of dirt the length of a bicycle. Maybe someone had prepped the ground to plant a bush or shrub. Fall is the perfect time for planting a billboard proclaimed on my drive through town. But surely it was too late to plant anything. Pop bailed hay today. At breakfast his thermal stuck out under his flannel shirt. Images of the recent frost, a severed hand, and the loose mound of dirt in the graveyard jumbled around in my mind and I panicked. There was no other explanation. The tilled earth was a shallow grave. I took a deep breath and exhaled slowly. Heartbeats throbbing in my ear. The first time I ever felt this kind of paralyzing fear was at Girl Scout camp, when I first heard the gruesome tale of the Creech family graveyard. Our scout leader, wearing no makeup and crowned with pink sponge curlers, had animatedly explained to the troop what happened centuries ago. Don't believe what the history books tell you. That family didn't die from smallpox. They were murdered. Some say they were slaughtered by Native American spirits seeking revenge on the bullying colonists who took their land and abused it. The spirits possessed a local Indian tribe. The Indians claimed they had no memory of the incident, but an axe with the tribe's ceremonial feathers was found at the scene, just like this one. 
At that point in the story, the scout leader waved a decorative axe at the girls sitting around the bonfire. Feathers flew as we ran screaming to our tents. That hand looks like it was cut off with an axe. How would you know that? I don't know. Shouldn't you call the police? No. If the Indian spirits did it, they, would have they could come after me next. You're insane. Maybe. Dusk fell. The sky turned indigo blue. I stared at the long pillow of brown soil. I couldn't resist the urge to discover the truth for myself. With a slate rock I found close by, I began clearing away the mound of dirt. The midnight blue sky would turn black in minutes. I hurried like a woman possessed, striving to discover the identity of the person in the shallow grave. I hit something soft. Cornflower blue fabric peeked through the dark earth. It was a woven blanket. Peeling the blanket up with my hands revealed a white shirt, cotton, ribbed. A wife beater, as it was called, like George wore, like George was. The next steps were inevitable. Fear gripped me, but the urge to know was stronger than the fear. I dug more tenaciously. On the arm of the body, I found a tattoo of an eagle, like George's. Around the neck hung a gold chain, like George's. Then, a thin face. George. I remember the first time George met Pops. It was a year after the courthouse ceremony. George, a lightweight, stuttered as he attempted to compliment Pop on his row of bronze heavyweight boxing trophies decorating the fireplace mantle. How many years did you get in the ring? George asked. What makes you think I ever left? Pop answered. George hated the farm. He also hated my father. The feeling was mutual. Pop never said a word, but his eyes had narrowed at me at breakfast when the sun burst through the window and blasted a bright spotlight on the shiner over my left eye. Confused and desperate, I sprinted through the darkness. Did spirits take it upon themselves to murder George on my behalf? Or had a bored entity answered my prayers? Who cut off the hand that had struck me so many times? A light shone in the barn. Pop was probably finishing up for the night, having a smoke. Toto had retreated there already. He yapped at me viciously as I rounded the corner and faced my father. Pop, is it you? Who else would it be? He replied. You're not going to believe this, Pop. There's a body in the graveyard. The thick muscles in his neck tightened. That's what graveyards are for. No, Pop, you don't understand. It's George. He's dead. I found his body buried in the old Creech family graveyard. Pop looked at me, his weathered face devoid of expression. It was as if I had just told him the sun was yellow. Pop, someone killed George and buried him in a shallow grave. Don't you understand? I need to call the cops. Pop looked away from me and hung up his work gloves on the pegboard by the door right beside his firewood axe. Clumps of dry dirt stuck to the handle. No. No, you don't. 
I gasped in realization. You, you, no, not you. Pop's face faded as I collapsed under the barn floor. I awoke to the sound of barking. Memories of the day I left Harrisburg. Memories my mind had buried. Returned slowly, and the horrible truth became clear as pictures from that day slowly developed in my mind. George passed out on the bed, my hands holding down a white pillow. A thin body wrapped in a blue blanket. The rusty gate of the truck. The sign for the Susquehanna River. Pop's axe and shovel hanging in the empty barn. The lumpy blanket lying on a graveyard. A tattooed arm. Toto. The frosty ground. A shovel. An axe. And a severed hand. My old room. Dirty feminine hands. Pop holding a wet, knitted washcloth. Toto at the door. The officer clasped handcuffs around my wrists. Pop held his dog tight as I was let out of the room. The policeman guided me through the farmhouse. As we passed the fireplace mantle, I noticed a heavy layer of dust on Pop's trophies. Before they put me in the police cruiser, I looked back. Pop's muscular body crumbled onto the floor like a defeated champion alone in the ring after a fight. His head bowed, and his shoulders slumped. I just wanted to go home. Now, I wouldn't be going home again for a long, long time. Thanks, everyone, for joining me for this Halloween special of The Dark Narrative. It's only episode three of this podcast, but I'm very glad I was able to uh, do something today. Just obviously talking about horror fiction, narrating horror stories. I knew I had to do something today, and I'm very, very grateful. And I want to say a very special thank you to the two very talented ladies who lent me their stories to narrate on my podcast, Melissa Allgood and Dean Marie Prokop. Thank you both so much. I've actually narrated stories of theirs before on my YouTube channel. And uh, I'll probably talk a little bit more about that in my next episode. If you want some information on that, though, you can check out the Be Afraid podcast. That is uh, run by my friend, uh, fellow horror author, Torsten Kipton, uh, where he interviewed me talking about my you know, inspirations, what I'm working on, and horror narration. You can get a little bit more information from that that episode, uh, I believe it's called Opening the Mind of Creepy Kile, which is my narration alter ego on YouTube. So, or you could just look up Creepy Kile on YouTube. Creepy spelled with a K. Kile spelled key spelled K E E L A Y. Yeah, I really need to uh, <clears throat> work on my uh, work on speaking. Anyways. Thanks again, guys, so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the stories. If you did, please, please do yourself a favor and check out Melissa Allgood and D. Marie Prokop. 
They can be found on Amazon. Both of them have works published there. You can find them on uh, Facebook. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Twitter. They are everywhere. So please, again, do yourself a favor. Check them out. You can also check out uh, the horror anthology, Hair Raising Tales of Horror, uh, put together by Melissa Allgood and Chantel Renee. And it's just loaded with a bunch of stories, both by the women I, whose stories I just narrated and others. So that also is available on Amazon, I believe, not just ebook, but also paperback. So I was reading from the paperback as I narrated. So how's that for fancy? Probably not very fancy, but anyways. Again, thanks for joining me. Have a happy and safe Halloween. And I will see you guys next time.